Hello and welcome to the Trading Table Podcast. You got Dynasty Zoltan here as always, and I am joined by the one, the only, Dynasty Jacobian. How's it going, Jacob? Yeah, it's it's going, uh, it's been better. Um, you know, my dog passed away this, this past weekend and I've been mourning him, but um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about some rookies. Uh, they, they are the pet of our rosters, so... You know, we'll, we'll do this podcast in honor of Paco, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of draft day. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the, as you said, I mean, first of all, uh, my best wishes out to you. Uh, everyone send your love to Jacob. Um, and second of all, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. The uh, the rookies really are like the pets of the dynasty industry. You know, you, you meet them when they're young, a few years away from maturity. You nourish them. You love them. And, you know, ultimately uh, they give you as much as you give them as long as you put in the time and effort. And if you suck as a human being, you abandon them. So... That's true. That's true. The uh, the dog shelters nowadays are much like the uh, streets of Twitter with all of those uh, teams abandoned by their owners. Uh, but you know, fortunately, we got some uh, some good people out there taking over teams and dogs alike. Um, so, without uh, much of a segue, why don't we get into talking about some rookies? Uh, and before we do that, that's a good time to plug uh, the open roster sheets that you keep putting out. There are a bunch of people that you know randomly drop out of teams, and if you follow Mike or I. Um, we're constantly filling holes in, in the leagues we run or are in that, you know, need people to take over teams. They're competitive leagues that we have. And uh, so, yeah, if you're looking to join a dynasty league or um, you just want to compete against us, uh, just keep following and, and comment when they are, um, you know, posted. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's a good shout. And I can tell you that, you know, some of the orphans aren't great. Some of the available teams aren't great. Some of them are. But the ones that aren't, you know, we sometimes offer some discounts or a uh, compensatory pick or something. So definitely check those out if you're looking to expand your uh, league coverage. Um, so, you know, a lot of the leagues are in rookie draft season right now. I know, you know, a lot of the Dynasty community likes to do it a little bit on the earlier side. Uh, how, how many rookie drafts have, uh, have you been in so far? I don't know. A lot. <laughs> <Do anything. laughs> Yeah, that's, it seems that's like there's a new one popping off every day at this point. Um, but, you know, I'm in 30 weeks, so not as many as you, but uh, enough to keep me busy during the day. Yeah, it's pretty much a cycle. You know, every every hour, you know, you check your phone and you're up in another league or have like four trade chats in another league. Um, I mean, you, it's, you it's much fun. more than me because uh, you hoard picks. I trade my picks. I'm doing a lot of trading into drafts. I'm uh, unlike you, who's uh, doing a lot of trading back or moving up and around. I'm uh, I'm acquiring picks as you gain value uh, with the intelligent moves that you have made prior uh, to the <laughs> season with the one year punt. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's a good, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we work so well because we do have differing opinions and different strategies in Dynasty. And I think our plan for today is going to really show, uh, you know, different areas that you and I kind of excel at just based on uh, what our rosters look like. So mm-hmm. I, I think what we want to do today is just start off with a, uh, with a Dynasty rookie draft. We can just uh, alternate whoever goes first, talk about, you know, different areas of the draft you want to move into, different areas of the draft that you want to potentially get out of, and we can, you know, just hit it like that. Yeah, well, we can alternate. We can snake it. How, however you want to do it is fine by me. I think let's just alternate it. Snaking feels a little weird with only two people. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just going twice in a row. Uh, yeah. yeah, why, why don't I uh, – do, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Why don't you go for it? The 1.2 is all mine. 
Yeah, yeah, I figured. Um, so at the 1.1, um, you know, it's. It, it, I think one of the things that you'll see as we talk about the first round of this draft especially is that this is one of the chalkiest, flattest drafts I've really ever had. Um, I've, I've had about 18 first rounds completed so far in my leagues. Um, and so far, the standard deviation of where the top nine picks are selected is basically half of a pick. So that means that you can basically pinpoint where everyone in your draft is going to go, uh, you know, weeks out or days out. You don't need to wait till someone's on the clock. If there's a certain player you want to get, you should go for them. And in 18 of my 18 drafts, Brees Hall has gone number one. So this is the pick where you know exactly what it's going to be. This pick... Usually there's an issue after you draft where you drive the car off the lot and either you lose a lot of value because you picked someone that people don't want and the uh, you know potential mystery box is better than that, or you could potentially gain some value if you pick a player that people in your league really wanted that they thought would be there later. More often than not, you're going to lose value though. The 101 is one of the few places this year where you will not lose any value or gain any value because you might as well call the 101 Brees Hall right now. So that's going to be my pick for the 101. Uh, as we've discussed, I'm not the biggest Brees Hall fan. I think he's going to be a productive player. I think he's going to be a good player. I don't see superstar in him. Um, I see superstar in Kenneth Walker. I think that there's a lower floor for him, but I think he's a way better runner. I think he's a better athlete. I don't really care what the testing number said. I saw it on tape. And I really think that he has a good chance to be a better player. But that being said, I think it would be a mistake to take Kenneth Walker over Brees Hall, given what I already said about how much value Brees Hall has. So if I have to make the pick, I'm taking Brees Hall, and I've actually already done that in a few leagues. But my number one recommendation at the 101 would be to trade back, uh, whether it's to the 102 to pick up Kenneth Walker, whether it's to the 105 or 109, which are the ends of some tiers that I have that we'll talk about a little later, um, or whether it's for a veteran. I mean, I think with the 101, Brees Hall's being ranked around RB5 or 6. Go talk to the Christian McCaffrey owner. Go talk to the Joe Mixon owner and get something thrown on top. Go talk to the Javante Williams owner and maybe throw in a little bit. There are other things that you can do, you know, if you're deep at running back, go after A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf and maybe get a little on top. But if I have to take this pick and this is a mock draft, I'm going to go with Brees Hall 101. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that pick. And I also don't have uh, Brees Hall ranked as highly as everybody else in the dynasty community he is my second prospect on my big board but i would take him 1.1 every time simply because the value is there if you look at startups he's going in the late second early third and uh kenneth walker and all the other rookies they don't go until the late third to the fourth round and if you're talking about move up costs in the startup draft that's a around a late first territory so um it's not unreasonable as the 1.1 owner to ask for a late first on top of the 1.2 or 1.2 to 1.5. Chances you get that in a rookie draft are slim, given that the the differentials within a rookie uh, draft are optically smaller. Um, but I would take a 23 second on top of the 102 um, in order to trade away the 1.1. I think I think that. That probably could get it done if you wanted to move up to Brees Hall if you're really into him. But uh, neither neither Mike and uh, Mike and I are um, advocating for that move. 
we're and, not Brees and, Hall and before, people. And before we get to your pick, one other comment on Brees Hall, and it has to do with what you said about the optics of a rookie draft. You're completely right, right? Like in a startup, it's a lot easier to trade from late fourth to late third and show that as a 12-pick gap than trading from 102 to 101 in a rookie draft, even though it's basically the same thing. So one of the ways to avoid those optics are, number one, trading Brees Hall for a veteran. So let's say you couldn't trade him for 105 and a 23 first. Look at 105. Look at a veteran who has the similar value to that. So maybe you like Josh Jacobs. Smith. Or Josh Jacobs, as much as you sure, as much as you like uh, Traylon Burks, you then, tell me. Okay, offer the Josh Jacobs owner Josh J- one hundred one for Jacobs in the twenty three first, something like would that. Would you do that, Mike? As a uh, as a Brees Hall owner, would you trade for Jacobs in the twenty three first? I know you're much lower on him than I am. Is it? I mean, I'm much lower on him than you. I think I'm about even with the community. Uh, is it a random twenty three first? Random. Let's go with random. Let's say let's you know for argument's sake. Let's say it's between 107 and 110. So I had a trade actually went down. Um, Matt, uh, in our uh, w- one of our good friends on Twitter, um, a trade went down in his league where he traded, uh, what was it? It was Brees Hall for James Conner in a first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that, I mean, Jacobs I have over James Conner, but it's kind of the same idea, right? Where you move back a year, you move back essentially a year. James Conner is probably going to do better than Brees Hall this year. And then you get a first next year, which might do better than Brees Hall going forward into the future. So it really depends on the first. I don't, I, th- I think I might do it. It, it would. I would need to see some upside in that first. If, if it was a team, even a playoff team that didn't have any depth, I would probably do it. If it's a really stacked team, I probably wouldn't. I'm just going to say I don't think that the limit for what you can get for Brees is there. I think you could get more than a random 23 first in Jacobs, just given the market value. I think it's ridiculous that you can do that. Um, But I'd be jumping all over that. I also think J.K. Dobbins is a great person to target in a trade down. Um, 100%. In in my opinion. just Jake, look at a receiver running back right in the range of, you know, Burks, London, Walker, and yeah. try, to f- try to do that. Too. I mean, J.K. Dobbins is a perfect trade-down candidate from Brees Hall just because, like, number one, in my opinion, he's way more physically gifted. He probably could have just as good of a role, if not better, and he's, like, the same age. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't do that and get as much as possible on top, and it's, again not unfeasible that you could get a late first top to, on top of him. Just given, like, people are saying Brees Hall is the running back six. Not many people have J.K. Dobbins in their top 12. Yep. And, uh, by the way, that, I don't think they're the same age. Brees, yeah, Hall's, pretty, Brees Hall's pretty young. He's, like, he's like just turned 21. Oh, really? Anyways, yeah, and this is Dobbins's third year. Anyways, okay. um, so I made my first pick. Why don't uh, you move on to your first pick? I think we all know who it's going to be, but give us the, uh, give us the spiel. Yeah, so it's it's definitely going to be Kenneth Walker, and this is the pick I'm trying to get in every draft now. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, 102, like, from 102 to 108, it's all the same. Trade down, trade down, trade down. I don't see it that way. I see a, a clear 1-2, and it's the running backs. There are no wide receivers that have a landing spot as good with a floor as good and a ceiling as good as the running backs do. I mean, you can make the argument for Traylon Burks, and I think that's probably the only top receiver that has the combination that the running backs have. But I also just think that Traylon Burks doesn't have the floor that either of these running backs have just in terms of, like, translatability to the NFL. Um, We know that Traylon Burks is the only wide receiver in Tennessee. 
Uh, he doesn't have a good quarterback. He's got a lot of developing to do as a player overall. So I don't give him that same floor. But, you know, in terms of those combos, I'm going with the two running backs here. Uh, Kenneth Walker, in my opinion, um, is way more physically gifted. Nah, not way more physically gifted. Just as physically gifted as Brees Hall. He's more slight of frame, but I think he's got more explosivity to his game. Um, and that's what I'm all about. You know, when we're talking about who can be that top tier player in the NFL, you're looking for those elements that really stand out. And a lot of times it comes in the form of athleticism. And there's just something about the way Kenneth Walker changes direction, the way he cuts, how he accelerates off his cuts. That's just different than anything. You know, Brees Hall brings a lot of force to his game, but it's not as impactful in, game, in the game as I view Kenneth Walker. Um, in terms of pass catching, yeah, I, I completely just to touch on his running a bit. I completely agree with you there. Um, in my film grade, Kenneth Walker ranked as the number one burst in the class. Um, looking at all of his underlying metrics, I mean, it's really an interesting discussion because from a production standpoint, Brees Hall had three years of production, so it's it's hard in a way to argue that Kenneth Walker was more productive. However, when you look at basically every other metric other than uh, target share, Kenneth Walker is going to be superior in it. Yards after contact per attempt, it was 4.3 to 3.3. Missed tackles forced per attempt, it was 0.34 to 0.29. He had a much higher PFF score. His elusiveness rating was literally 50% higher. And all of that matched the eye test on film. And, you know, he's playing in the Big Ten, which, if anything, has better defenses than the Big 12. So I, I, I think Kenneth Walker, from a rushing perspective, it's no argument argument for me who's a better rusher oh yeah definitely and and when you look at their two the best seasons for each player Kenneth Walker's was better and there's a reason why Kenneth Walker was in the Heisman conversation last season and Brees Hall wasn't and you brought it up that was against better defenses now let's talk about the production a little bit because we we should talk about the production um Kenneth Walker really didn't play much at Wake Forest why? I have no idea. But if you look at the efficiency per touch that Kenneth Walker had at Wake Forest, everything checks out. And then you go to the film and you look at what he did at Wake Forest and the guy's like going one side of the field to the other, making everybody miss. And it's just like, why didn't this guy play? And then you realize he transferred to a better school because he bet on himself. And when he did, it paid off. Everything he did at Michigan State worked out. If you're going to question his pass catching, fine. The production's not there, but then take it into context and you realize, well, Wake Forest simply doesn't throw to their running backs. I think they had nine targets in one season to their running backs. Michigan State had 27 total targets to their running backs. Just not an element of their offense. Like They do not utilize running backs. Now that these teams utilize running backs in the past game, and that's historically true. It just doesn't happen on Michigan State. It doesn't happen in Wake Forest. And that's where college is different than the NFL. You can't just lump these statistics in together and say, oh, team market share per position, whatever, yada, yada, yada. You really got to look at the program, the scheme, and put it into context. Then, if there are red flags because the production isn't there, go to the film. Is there anything that raises flags about Kenneth Walker's game in the past game? No, absolutely not. He catches pretty much everything that goes his way. There's nothing that like is egregious on the tape. And yes, maybe you fear the unknown, but... Like, he went to the combine, he showed out there's a reason he's a second-round pick and not a third or fourth. It's because people were comfortable with what they saw. And, and, and he only went – I totally agree. He only went five picks after Brees Hall. And the thing about the thing about this is if Brees Hall was as good of a rusher, 
I would have him higher. If Brees Hall was drafted in the early first round, or if I thought he was a better, you know, player, I, if he was really any of the backs from the last few years who've been drafted in the top two of dynasty drafts, I would have him higher than Kenneth Walker because there is some risk to that receiving. But you see a guy in Walker who bet on himself and improved, who killed it at Michigan State, and who looks fluid as a pass catcher. I mean, Brees Hall, he was a fine pass catcher. He, he caught what was thrown. Something he special. Routes. Yeah, he wasn't doing – he ran like a few Texas routes. He ran a few wheels. Well, he made one sick catch on a wheel. But other than that, I mean, it was pretty much just, you know, your average run-of-the-mill, you know, 40 to 50 reception type guy. And that's what most guys are. Like, your favorite comp you like to make is how Zeke Elliott got up to 70 or 80 catches and how, you know, Josh Jacobs might be following a similar progression to that. You know, not, neither of them make any difficult catches, and that's okay. The point is, is that they're powerful and elusive in space. When they catch the ball, they can burst, and it's not that hard to catch a swing pass or a screen pass. So, Kenneth Walker, you know, it's a bit of a risk. I'm, I'm not here to argue Josh Jacobs with you. We we can't do this right now. But I I, I think we both agree that Kenneth Walker is a better player. But that being said, I, I you know, as we talked about, he's not the 101. First of all, Josh Jacobs can run routes, and he's a great pass catcher. Second of all, um, we'll go back to uh, what we should expect in the pass game from these two players. Now, Brees Hall has a safer floor, but I think the reason why he has a safer floor is different from what most people. I think the the common uh, consensus opinion is Brees Hall is safer because he's going to have uh, more expected receptions. Uh, I think that's bunk. Uh, the, The thing that gives him a safer floor for me is that he's guaranteed to be the starting running back, at least from the early down situations. And, and once he work. Once he enters, exactly. Once he enters uh, the league, he's, he's going to be the primary running back. Kenneth Walker, I think, has a shot to do that, but Pete Carroll's, he's kind of a wild card with how he's going to use his incumbents. Granted, Rashad Penny is nothing special. Yes, he had that great six-game stretch against terrible teams, um, but for the most part, he's been injury-prone. Uh, hasn't been on the field, hasn't been available, hasn't been anything special when he's played for the most part other than that, that small stretch. And, you know, like when you look at what he was doing, he's pretty much running through gigantic holes very slowly and uh, getting catch from behind. So, like, I'm not worried about Rashad Penny long term. Um, but, you know, Pete Carroll might ease Kenneth Walker in, whereas Brees Hall should be engines revving right out of the gate. And, and, and there, it, there is a little bit of a concern with Walker about his pass protection, but it doesn't have to do with his attitude. And to right. be honest, like pass protection isn't hard, right, as a running back. It's something you learn, but if you have the physicality and you have the desire, and those are two things I do not question in the least bit with Walker, it's something you learn. And if it takes a few weeks, that's fine, which is why Brees Hall will have more value today and tomorrow in September and probably October, but we'll see about that. So if you take Brees Hall, you can always trade down to a guy like Walker, but I do think Walker is going to come on strong. Right, and and I also want to bring this up in terms of the pass casting for Brees Hall. When you look at what Kenneth Walker can do in the pass game, there's really no one on the Seahawks roster that jumps out and, and is like, wow, they're going to have the third down back roll and it's going to prevent Walker from taking a step forward. But when you look at the Jets, they have Michael Carter. And while I've been bashing Michael Carter all offseason, I've always said that Michael Carter's best ability is in the pass game. Like, he is a scat back that can be good in space, 
and he's not going anywhere. And I don't think the Jets have plans to just abandon him. Like he 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 wasn't atrocious. Like he he had good parts to his game last year. That's undeniable. So I think Michael Carter is setting a little bit of a cap on Brees Hall, and there's no one setting a cap on Kenneth Walker. So I'm looking at athleticism in in Walker's favor. I'm looking at long-term situational upside in Walker's favor. I think he's the better player, so I don't want the 101. I want the 102 all day, every day. And, and I think that's a good point, right? Like maybe maybe Carter takes some valuable pass-down snaps and maybe the two-minute drill from Hall. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if he's going to take any snaps, it's not going to be on first and second down. And Penny, Penny had six receptions last year. He has 23 receptions in his career. It's not like he's a pass catcher who's going to block uh, Card, uh, Walker. Sorry, But I do think given his pass protection, it might take Walker a few extra weeks. Um, so anyways, after, you know, if, if we want to get anywhere in this draft, uh, we should probably move on. Talk about... Uh, I have one more point. Okay, go ahead. I'm Walker. Last season, we thought Javante would be the next Nick Chubb. Yeah. You know, that great running back taking over for the old incumbent. I think what's going to happen is Walker's going to be the next Nick Chubb in terms of that progression because unlike, Walk, uh, unlike Javante who had Melvin Gordon, who's a legitimate running back. Like, Melvin Gordon still got juice. Um, I would say Rashad Penny's more like Carlos Hyde, that injury-prone, mediocre veteran, you know. The head coach goes with him for a couple weeks. All of a sudden, it becomes evident that the the young uh, second-round pick is ready to take over, and just that's it. And uh, I could see that progression, hopefully with more pass game. Yeah, I could totally see that. I, I think Penny might be a little better than Carlos Hyde, but you know I have that uh, uh, OSU bias. Um, anyways, <laughs> let's move on to uh, pick 103, and this is a interesting spot for me. So as I kind of referred to earlier, I, re- I really think that two through five in the draft are pretty much um, even. Um, you know, a lot of time there's going to be a mix-up between there, and that's a spot where it's actually highly variant. Um Sorry, you can't like lean back and move because every time it rubs against your shirt, it like makes a static noise. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so yeah, at the 103, I think it's a very interesting spot in the draft. You got, you know, three receivers on the board who I all think have a fair argument to be up there in Drake London, Garrett Wilson, and Traylon Burks. I've talked about this before, but I think the two through five is pretty much a flat spot in the draft. Looking at my draft so far, um, every single draft, Kenneth Walker, Drake London, Traylon Burks, and Garrett Wilson have gone picks two through five. Not necessarily that order, but that that two through five has never been broken up. And their ADPs are all between 3.1 and 4.5. So really, it could go in any order depending on who you draft with. At the 103 for me, it's a very close contest between Drake London and Traylon Burks. I've recently moved Drake London up. Uh, I just essentially finished my model, and Dra- and it's telling me Drake London. It's telling me it's close, but you know I, I can't be too much of a hypocrite. My film uh, evals do go into my model. So what I'd like to tell people is I do think Drake London is the better pick, but my gut says Traylon Burks. And the way that my gut says Kenneth Walker over Brees Hall, but I wouldn't make that decision because of the value. The value between Drake London and Traylon Burks is basically the same. I think Burks is going to have uh, 
you know, a very good rookie season. His over-under in Vegas, for instance, is about 90 yards higher than Drake London. And if you've ever tried to gamble, you've learned Vegas knows what they're doing. So I'm going to tra- take Traylon Burks here, but I think it's a really close uh, pick. Dude, that was just a strategic pick because you know I'd never take Drake London. <laughs> it wasn't, but, I mean, it's a good point. you got to know your competition, right? Oh, man, so, ah, crap. That really threw me for a loop here because uh, now it gets a little murky. Um, you know, Traylon Burks is my wide receiver one, so I absolutely would take him at the 1-3. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that we can touch on this a little bit with the two guys you mentioned. Traylon Burks is coming into a, a beautiful situation where he's – everyone comped him to A.J. Brown, and uh, now he's A.J. Brown's replacement, and he's essentially – driving up in a fine-tuned car as we said on 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 a on the last podcast that role's already there um Traylon Burks I'm, I'm pretty excited about he has a lot of developing to do his his route running at this point is pretty sloppy he's a pretty raw prospect um but he's got all the physical tools and I think he can really do it there's no competition there I'm expecting early production um so yeah Traylon Burks is my wide receiver one I think you made a good pick so Without further ado, if Traylon Burks is off the board, my one, two, three are off the board. I have literally a tier of like five guys now. I just don't like have any difference between um, at all. So I'd be trying hard to trade from any pick between now and 1.8. Um, and and you know. that's very interesting because most people do have Wilson and London as the next two in a top tier of five. So if that's not the case, like for you, you can get a lot of value. Moving back from four to seven or four to eight, that's moving from, you know, Olave up to London or Wilson. That's going to be a big jump in a lot of people's minds. You can get a lot, you can get basic, you can probably get more for that than you could moving from 101 to 104. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if someone gives you a 24 first. Yeah. For those, now I think that's an aggressive ask. Uh, I wouldn't pay a first to move up, <laughs> like at all in any first round. But whatever, um, I wouldn't pay two firsts for one first ever. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say ever. There are years. Not ever. Yeah. I mean, course. even in this class, I would pay eleven and twelve for one. But that's a. Yeah, I would do that. You know what I'm saying? Though. I, I get four what you spots, mean. especially yeah. when it's flat like this. But my wide receiver too is Jamison Williams, and. Um, in most drafts, Jamison's going one seven, one eight. Yeah, I've even seen him go one nine. So I, I think one six is probably the consensus. But you're right; he slips as far as nine quite a bit. I, I've very rarely, at least not in a draft where I had a first round pick, I haven't seen him go earlier than one six. Um, but usually, if Kenny Pickett goes in the top seven picks, you're getting Jamison Williams one seven, one eight. Um, but you know, if, if I, since we can't trade back here, you're not you're not giving me a compelling offer. Um, I'm just gonna have to go with my board and take Jamison here. Uh, ultimately, I I do not like any other receiver's landing spot more than Chris Olave um, relative to Jamison Williams, uh, and I don't think any receiver is better than Jamison Williams in this class. So I'm gonna go with talent situation since we can't trade. Um, terms of Drake London, I know he's probably going to be your next pick. You you probably feel like you're going away, getting away with a little bit of thievery there. Yeah. Um, but for me, I understand the production's there. I understand all those metrics there, but I really, really hate a situation like 
you're talking about a guy who who likes high pointing the ball, posting up, and they got a guy named Kyle Pitts who's more talented, has a lot of a lot of crossover in his game, and they got two quarterbacks that aren't known for placing the ball particularly well. So you're talking about guys that really rely on uh, you know locating the ball, and now they're not going to know where that ball is coming to, and it's not going to be an optimal optimal placement where their size and their natural abilities. Um, are going to be uh, elevated. Now, if he was with somebody like Aaron Rodgers who can put the ball wherever he wants, I'd be all over Drake London. But when you're talking about Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter, ugh, yikes. I totally get that. And, I mean, I'll touch on Jamison Williams for a second. I don't think we need to go too in-depth because we did talk a lot about these wide receivers on the last podcast, those who got drafted in the first round at least. But all I'll say on Jamison Williams versus Drake London is that Drake London's freshman year was almost as productive as Jamison Williams' junior year, and Jamison Williams didn't have a freshman or sophomore year of any production. He's almost similar to Kenneth Walker in a way like that, but for me, he just didn't really have the film to match, and his underlying metrics didn't really match even his junior uh, breakout season. So I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on Jamison Williams there. I am thrilled, as you said, to get Drake London at number five. Um, I don't think we need to talk about that too much anymore, and uh, that brings us to your 106 pick. So I got Wilson or Olave. I can go with Pickett. Does my team need a quarterback? It's just a random team. All right, well, I wouldn't go with Pickett anyway because he sucks. Um, I'm going to go with Garrett Wilson here, and it's for the simple fact that he's the next best player on the board. You know, I do love Olave's situation. I do really like Olave as a player. Um, I don't think this gap is as big uh, as many think, and I'm not a fan of Garrett Wilson's situation. You know, he's got a pretty mediocre young quarterback who has potential, but to this point kind of sucks and he's got some crossover to his game um with elijah moore but you know when you look at what garrett wilson did this guy is a stud like he can separate on any play it's it, he to be honest garrett wilson if there was any player in this draft to be a sneaky justin jefferson it's garrett wilson yeah um, that's fair he's just a separating animal and so i'm gonna go with him and he's got down-the-field chops. He's got decent hands. I mean, I actually think that better than decent hands. Sorry, that was understating it. Um, I like Garrett Wilson as a player. He's my 105. I have him a tier above Jamison Williams. So he is slipping to six, um, I guess, in some drafts. I actually haven't seen it yet in one of my drafts, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it has happened. Um, I just saw but, him go 107. Yeah, that's, that's crazy to me. But, you know, I, I had Garrett Wilson as the best route runner in the class. I also had him as having the best release in the class and mm-hmm. being the most versatile wide receiver in the class in terms I, of where he can line up. He can play slot. He can play outside. Similar to a guy like Jefferson or Stephon Diggs, uh, who have been two of his comps, he's just such a fluid athlete, fluid route runner, and more down the field high-pointing chops than you would expect for a guy, you know, his size. Yeah, no, I absolutely think he is the best receiver currently coming into the league in this class. The reason I have him below Traylon Burks and uh, Jamison Williams is with Traylon Burks, it's just that physical upside that he presents and the role that he's in. And then with Jamison Williams, it's the speed, uh, the situation, and the size. Garrett Wilson, to me, is, you know, um, he's got some deficiencies in those areas, but when you're talking about pure talent entering the league, Garrett Wilson's at the top. 
Yeah, so I think that takes us to the 107, and this is a spot in the draft that I've been trying to trade to like mad, and I've been pretty successful so far. Um, and I already have eight shares in my first 18 drafts of this guy here, uh, Sky Moore. Uh, absolutely love Sky Moore. Um, he's actually my uh, my overall player six above Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams is actually I think eight or nine, but um, I'm a big Sky Moore fan. I mean. This guy is incredible. He played at a small school, but he produced for three years. And the way that that uh, the way that Sky Moore played, everyone knew he was the best player on that team. He was bracketed in double coverage as the slot guy and beat it on a consistent basis. You look at his reception perception profile. He was constantly beating man coverage. He was beating zone coverage. I think he's the best guy after the catch in this class, even better than Traylon Burks. Once you factor in his agility for a small guy, he is powerful. He's not comparing anyone to a guy like Debo Samuel is just a mistake but the way that Sky Moore can run after the catch with the ball in his hands and the way that he can attack the seams down the field when he's running down the field from the slot you have no idea whether he's running a post or a corner and the corners had no idea and he was absolutely burning everyone um, despite being the focus of the offense talk about the landing spot I mean if Tyreek Hill were there I think I would still have Sky Moore here Tyreek Hill is gone. That McCole Hardman is terrible. That means that all of the manufactured touches that were going to Hill, you look at last season, Tyreek Hill was getting a ton of underneath work, right? He was putting up the lowest A dot and lowest yards per catch in his career because they, they didn't have the offensive line to throw down the field. The Chiefs brought in Marcus Valdez-Scantling to run those terrible deep routes that never get targets, and Sky Moore is going to be the guy one-on-one over the middle every time because Kelsey's going to be doubled. I think he's probably going to put up the most yards of any rookie this year. I think he might go highest in dynasty drafts next year for rookies. I think Sky Moore is a stud waiting to happen. Um, typically, you know, my, my ADP is going to be a little slanted because I've taken him in half of the drafts. Um, but typically, he's going uh, with Pickett and Alave right around seven, eight, nine. Occasionally, a guy like Watson or Dotson or Cook will break into that top nine. But for the most part, it's more Pickett or Alave. I'm happy with any of them, but I'm trying to acquire 107 or 108 when I can to get Sky Moore. For the most part, for me, first of all, let me just talk a little bit about Sky Moore because I think uh, this is an interesting case where you're pulling a me. And you're paying a little extra to get a particular spot to get your guy in a rookie draft. You know, usually you're a guy that will trade down to a guy or, or wait till after the draft and then trade trade for him. But right now you're, you're paying that little bit of extra. You're getting that draft slot that you know you'll get your guy. And you're just doing it because you believe in him. And, and to be honest, I can't blame you. There's so much to like about Sky Moore. When I was watching his film... Uh, it, I, not not to just do a play on name here, but he looks like a smaller version of DJ Moore. I mean, this is a beautiful route runner who's a zone eater. You never yeah. know what he's going to do. You never know when he's just going to turn back and sit there and catch the ball and then go out and do stuff out after the catcher if he's going to just make beautiful cuts in and out of his routes and, and create space that way. This guy really is an all-around great receiver with great athleticism, and he doesn't. there's no receiver that has a better situation than him in this class. I mean, he's going there with Patrick Mahomes and his only legitimate competition is Juju Smith-Schuster, who really hasn't been relevant for several years and his game is completely different. So he's got a beautiful situation. He's a very good player. 
Now, I'm a little bit worried about his size. Um, I, I, I think that will impact his translatability, but everything you said about his ceiling, I agree with. Um, there's nothing st- preventing this guy from getting better overall. You know, the, the issues he might have in terms of physicality, he might learn how to leverage himself better at the next level, especially getting good coaching. So I don't blame you for, for making that move. I think, I think it's solid. It's justifiable. Uh, personally, I'm going to go with um, guys I like their size a little bit more and don't hate their landing spot, and I do trust a little bit more about what the scouts and NFL are saying. So with the next pick, I will go with... Mr. Chris Olave, who, uh, you know, a little bit bigger, not much. Uh, he's, four, he, he's four pounds bigger, just to put that out there. Isn't he also taller? He is two inches taller with shorter arms and four pounds bigger. He's not, uh, he's not a bigger person. Like, he's, like him being slightly taller, even though his arms are short, like it doesn't impact them on the football field. Uh, Chris Olave is a guy I really like. He's a clean player. Yeah, Everything he, he does is very clean. He's fast. He, he runs a sub 4-4. Four, four. And he's in a situation where he's, uh, you know, paired with Michael Thomas. Uh, they got different elements of their game going on. Jameis Williams loves to give his wide receivers chances. Um, I think that he also has a, a pathway to being a true wide receiver one, given Michael Thomas's injury history, given the uncertainty around Michael Thomas's future with the team, and given Michael Thomas's age. Um, so I love Chris Olave's uh, player profile. I like where he is. I like his fit on that offense. So Chris Lava would be my next choice. But, uh, yeah, I like Sky more. I can't blame you for taking him there. Yeah, and I got no problem with Alave either. Um, I have Alave ranked as my eighth player, so right where you're taking – actually, my seventh player, I have him above Jamison Williams. So I have him right where you're taking him here. And I've been trading to 108 a lot because – Oftentimes, Sky will last there, but if he doesn't, I'm fine getting Olave there as long as it's, you know, a fine price to move up. I think Olave is a great player and actually has a lot in common with Sky Moore. To me, the difference is that I think Sky Moore has a little bit more burst, and I think after the catch is where he really makes a difference. Olave, you know, a lot of people have talked about, he's the worst broken tackle rate out of any wide receiver in this class. It's, you know, I think it's like bottom five percentile of all prospects drafted in the first three rounds. Um, But that's okay, you know. First of all, I think he has the ability to be better than that. Second of all, he was getting wide open on crossing routes, picking up 50 yards after the catch without being touched. So when you look at, oh, he gained 50 yards and he didn't break a tackle, that's because he didn't have to because, you know, the scheme was great and Garrett Wilson was there opening up the field. But Chris Olave, you know, has the ability to do that. You want to talk about years of production. He has three years of excellent production at Ohio State with top competition both against him and with him on the field. I had him ranked as basically tied for the best hands in this class. I totally agree with the landing spot. Um, and, and I think, you, you know, we were talking about this before, and maybe you want to expand on this as well. The fact that the Saints traded up for him matters. Yeah, so if you look at, like, what the Saints did, they they have over two first-rounders invested in Chris Olave. You could make the argument that there is no wide receiver in this class with more draft capital invested in them than Chris Olave. Um, but, you know, you said something interesting about, like, he doesn't break tackles and his yards after catch has been in question. But um, I think that, like, he's a perfect player to to highlight this for. Not every player wins the same way. And Chris Olave is the type of guy who will either burn you and be wide open and you're not going to touch him, or he's like 
getting himself in a position where he's making that secure grab and you're moving the chains. I, 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 in all honesty, a good comp for him is like a faster Adam Thielen. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I'm not worried if that guy is not breaking tackles because that guy's going to be a, a target hog. He's going to, he's going to rack up points through receptions and he's still going to get his touchdowns because he's burning people and he's going to be reliable when it comes time to, to be close to the, uh, the red zone. So, I like Chris Olave a lot. I, I really do like him. I think he's going to be a solid player. I'm not so sold on his overall ceiling, but yeah, I, I think his I floor think is pretty pretty freaking high. Yeah, I, I, I largely agree with that. I mean, I, I really just think he's a poor man, Sky Moore. I mean, their profile is different, but, you know, it's, it's, it's very close between those two for a lot of people. So getting to that 7-8 spot where you know they'll be there, oftentimes the last 8-9 because of the next guy that I'm about to take sometimes goes top 8. Um, and that's going to be a guy I don't believe in. And much like Brees Hall, who I believe in more than this guy, who is uh, Kenny Pickett, just to be clear. Um, just like Brees Hall, I, I don't think he's like I don't think he's the talent to be drafted at this level. I mean, the one nine is different than one one. I just don't think Kenny Pickett's a good quarterback. I just don't care. For me, the tear break after really the top eight guys that I like. Um, to Kenny Pickett is just absolutely massive. So it doesn't matter if I don't like him because the tear break after him is massive as well. So Kenny Pickett is going to be a starting quarterback. If it's not this year, it's going to be halfway through the year or early into next year. Mitch Trubisky is terrible. The Steelers have a lot of weapons. I don't know if Pickens is going to work out. Claypool's a little up and down, but Deontay's a good player. Najee's a good player. Between Claypool, Pickens, and Austin, they're going to have another good player. Like, they have a good team. They have a good system. They have a good offensive line. Kenny Pickett, in my mind, is going to be an NFL starter for a year and a half just because he was drafted in the first round. And that's enough for me to maybe get a late 23 first out of him next year. And if I can do that from the 109 this year, that's absolutely what I'm trying to do, which brings me to what I'm really trying to do with essentially every pick from now until 202 is trade the hell out of it. Because the next five guys who go off the board in some order are Kenny Pickett, Jahan Dotson, James Cook, George Pickens, and Christian Watson. And I have very little interest in all of those guys, some more than others, which we'll get to in the next few minutes. But I would love to trade back to, you know, pick up two mid-seconds. If I could trade back to the mid-second and pick up a 23-2020, sorry, a 2023 second, I think that's the move. Because a guy like James Cook, a guy like George Pickens, those are not nearly as talented and as highly rated prospects as the 14th best player in next year's draft. And that's going to make a big difference if you can get an extra asset on top. Yeah, no, I totally feel that if you if you don't like the next guys, and I think you made the correct choice, especially in super flex leagues. First of all, when we when oh. we talk generally on this podcast, it's only super flex. Um, it's only super flex, and for the purpose of this draft, let's say it's you know super flex PPR half point tight end premium. Yeah, so you know, like uh, I, I, everything you said about Kenny Pickett's correct. Um, I think Kenny Pickett's terrible, but I'm probably gonna have plenty Kenny Pickett because I, I think he's a perfect platform QB in trading situations when when I play around with my rosters people I'm an I'm like a, a massive trade addict so I'm constantly looking for picket like pick uh, pieces where 
they're very easy to move around. You know, there's not many people questioning them. And if they're questioning them, it's just the fear of the unknown. You're going to find buyers for them. It's, it's essentially this value block that you can plug into almost any trade. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty great piece to have. And if they, if they work out like, great, you made a profit. And if they don't work out, like they probably aren't losing much value anyway, because they have role security and their the positional value in and of itself. So Kenny Pickett's a great asset. I think 109 as like the first QB off the board in a super flex league, a first round quarterback, especially in Pickett's situation is almost unconscionable. Um, but he sucks, so that's where he's at. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't get your hopes up. I just want to uh, reaffirm that I completely agree with that take on Kenny Pickett. Yeah. I don't think he's an NFL caliber quarterback, but I think he will be in the NFL as a quarterback. No, but if I if I can get like a late first and Kenny Pickett for Derek Carr, I'm doing that all day and then just flipping Kenny Pickett. In fact, like there was a league where I accidentally traded for the 110 because I. Uh, I didn't realize that Chris Olave had went. And this has happened to me twice this draft season so far because I've been drafting at work. Um, but yeah, I traded I traded for the 110. I was like, well, crap. Like, I guess I, I have to take Kenny Pickett here. Uh, the guy at 111 immediately hits me up. He's like, I have the 111. What do you want? And so I was like, all right, give me the 111. And uh, Who, who throw- went in the top eight of that draft that was unusual to push everyone down? I, th- I think Christian Watson went early. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, and and we had a Bills fan. So uh, James Cook went early as well. Um, but yeah. So I ended up getting like I think the two three two four on top of that, and it turned into uh, Jahan Dotson and Trey McBride for um, for Kenny Pickett. And I, I was like, all right, fair. Like, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> that sounds great to me. All right. So now you're up at the one ten. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell me what you're thinking? And, and yeah, just, uh, just, I think this is a good time to refresh because this is the top nine in most drafts. Um, in order, we got Hall, Walker, Burks, Jamison Williams, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore, Ken, Chris Olave, and Kenny Pickett at 109. Yeah, and, and, and just to for give the record, heads up, we're probably going to go through the next you know six or seven picks or so pretty much in depth, and then we might fly by you know rounds two and three and just pick up uh, on the guys we want to talk about. Yeah, um, I think I think what I would say is I see Sky Moore mostly going pick nine, like him or Christian Watson is nine ten. Um, I think people are generally going with like what has been viewed as the pre-draft premier talent, and then the two guys that went in the second round that have the landing spots we wanted everybody else to go to. Like everybody wanted the Green Bay or Kansas City landing spot for whoever their wide receiver was, and it happened to be the two second rounders that got him. So. Um, but yeah, uh, with tick- just for one second to interrupt, sorry, uh, just to do a little live stuff. So I have the 10, 11, and 201. It's a 14 team league, actually. So I have the 10, 11, and 13 in a draft. And I've been trying to get into the 6, 7, 8, 9 range all day, and I've been so unsuccessful. So I'm just completely folding now, and I'm offering 110 and Nico Collins for 1 9. Nico Collins is a guy, Sky Moore is the one available, by the way, still a 9. So I would offer more than that, honestly. I'm hoping he's going to counter and ask for more because I would still take it. So just to give a sense of how much I view the gap between Sky Moore and the 110, it's quite a bit. Uh, but anyway, sorry to cut you off. At the 110, I'm going to take James Cook. Um, and this is a guy that we, we, we defer on quite a bit. And I think it comes down to uh, 
the player itself. Um, not necessarily the situation. You know, I think we also disagree on that. But I will say this. When, if you listen to our podcast that we did with uh, Tyler, our, Tyler Freeze, who's um, Tyler underscore, not Tyler Freeze, uh, Tyler underscore FF. Um, sorry, mixing my Tylers up. He, uh, I talked about um, how James Cook is this guy I thought was so electric, so explosive, could could really do really well in the NFL, but there's just not too many landing spots that would elevate his game and uh, give him good usage. And he fell to the Buffalo Bills, who, in my opinion, everybody wanted the running backs to go to the Bills. I thought that the Bills were a terrible landing spot for running backs. I don't think, I think they are the perfect landing spot for James Cook because he's not a traditional running back. And here's, here's what I'm going to say. When you have Josh Allen and you have a guy like James Cook doing a gap run scheme, like these are going to be wide open running lanes. Uh, James Cook's so freaking explosive. When he actually does run the ball, it's just going to be great. Like he, and then they're not the type of team that goes between the tackles a lot. There's a lot of outside gap running, which is exactly what you want James Cook to do. So when they actually run the ball with James Cook, great. Now, there's been a lot of talk about him being a sub-back. Um, well, how big is that sub-back role going to be? I, I don't think the Bills want to run ever. They're probably, if there was any team that could run less, it would be the Bills. If they're up by 40 points, they want to be up by 40 more points. They are pedal to the metal all the time. They want the ball in Josh Allen's arm all the time. So when I'm looking at this, like, pretty much a slot receiver out of the backfield who can run nasty routes, do tremendous things after the catch, and then you have the perfect complement to his run game in Josh Allen, like literally the guy that you could not pair his run game with any better. It's like, come on, James Cook, you can't you can't be any happier with where he's landed. I, I love it. I love it for him. I don't think he needs to have more than 15 touches a game to be super super fantasy relevant i really don't like i think he's going to get at least five receptions a game i think he's going to be one of the leading receivers on that team he's already one of the best most talented receivers on the team um anything he does as a runner is a cherry on top but he certainly doesn't have much competition there with devin singletary and zach moss i mean they already phased zach moss out of the offense nobody cares about devin singletary uh except me i love devin um I know but, you do. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think James Cook, this is actually a, a difference on both the player eval and the landing spot. Um, I, I think you make some good points about the landing spot being good. Um, there are going to be more open running lanes, which, of course, is what James Cook needs because he's not going to break any tackles with physicality, um, which is fine, but that's just not the type of player he is. I guess my problem with James Cook, first of all, let me say from a film perspective, um, I thought his contact balance was terrible, I thought his power was terrible, and I thought his vision was bad. And to me, I look at the times uh, in college where he was tackled by defensive linemen or defensive ends, you know, who he'd gotten into the hole but not fully through it, and he got taken down by the legs. Or he had to take an extra second to get to the hole because his eyes were slow, and then he was taken down in the backfield. 
I think he's going to be a terrible running back as far as a runner in the NFL. I think he's going to be actively terrible. Uh, I just don't think that his vision and his contact balance is good enough to compensate for how small he is. So if he gets a wide open lane, he can run straight and he can do it quickly, but so can a lot of players. And I just don't see it as far as running the ball. Um, add to that the fact that he didn't produce his first three years in college and even his fourth year in college his production wasn't very good uh, I've heard all of the stuff all these great Georgia running backs who were keeping him off the field good players play a lot in college I, I my models take that into account but you you look at you know Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson did they cannibalize each other a little bit sure but James Cook not doing anything until his senior year and even then being you know out snapped by Zamir White who I think is really bad uh, is not a good sign um, as far as the landing spot I have less to say on this but basically they're not going to run a lot they're going to throw it a lot I think he'll get some pass some catches but I still think he'll split time with Devin Singletary because I don't think he's a better player than Devin Singletary and I think whoever the Buffalo Bills running back of the future is if they even want one which I'm not sure they do is not in the NFL yet or definitely not on their team yet so I'm a fade on James Cook I will probably have zero shares unless I'm forced to pick him at you know 204 you see there are a few things that i'll i'll highlight here um first i'll start with the devon like the devon singletary and the future of the bills backfield um i think when you have a guy like josh allen who runs the ball a lot uh, and then you invest second round draft capital on a running back the odds that you bring somebody in uh via draft in the future is probably very slim that's not a position they want to invest in um because they want to throw the ball, they want to they want to protect Josh Allen. They want offensive linemen. They want receivers. Um, they just spent uh, a second round pick on a guy that they view as a perfect fit for their offense. So I think in terms of like security, in terms of being thrown in, unless James Cook absolutely sucks, like you think he will, uh, I think that he's got like pretty good security there. And I don't think that they would have spent a second round pick on a running back if they believed in Devin Singletary, especially after they've tried to sabotage Devin Singletary's career after the past three years. Totally. Um, he, he has job security. I didn't mean to imply otherwise for now, but I, I just think he'll be bad enough at running that. Now, now, you did bring up a good point about his contact balance, and I, I, I want to be objective here. And uh, the biggest red flag that I saw from James Cook, I'm not going to call it contact balance because – Contact balance to me is like when somebody is like actually running in an intelligent way yeah. and they get hit and whether or not they can recover. You're right. What James Cook did was whenever hard contact was visibly on its way, he would just completely adjust his body to try and avoid the contact and what that did was send him to the ground. Like he just... Well, it would send him to the ground, and it would send him to the ground backwards because he, yeah, like, he, he would be static trying to adjust his body. The defender would be spearing at him, and he'd fall backwards. He, he played in a way that he was shy of contact. I 100% disagree with your vision analysis. I, from my film review, I was actually very high on his vision, particularly in the outside gap scheme. The, where I didn't like what he did was... Um, like he's a guy that likes making people miss. So if the if the play was blown up right away, he like didn't do what a, a running back should do, who's not afraid of contact, and just go forward and, and salvage the play. Like he would try and uh, you know juke his way out of it, and it could end up for a four yard loss. So those are areas that are coachable, and I don't think 
I'm not worried about it, but it's something see, to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I think it's a little coachable, but it's a little just physical. And the fact that he's already, you know, almost 23 years old, to me, a guy I've seen James Cook, and I, you know, I, I grew up in the Patriots dynasty era, I see a lot of James White. And you might say, oh, that's, that's fine. James White, you know, scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. <laughs> he's never been fantasy relevant. And what I see from James Cook is a guy, he might give you – you know, low-end RB2 seasons if he's healthy the whole year and catches 65 balls. He might be a good flex option at times, but I think his floor, because I don't believe in the talent, is very low, and I think his ceiling, because of the role I expect him to succeed in if he succeeds, uh, is the ceiling of that is so low that I'm just not interested at that price. Um, That brings me to my pick, and I'm going to pick a guy who... Uh, ceiling I do believe in significantly more. He has a uh, very interesting profile in terms of he didn't really do anything until uh, he he was a much older player. He's already 23 years old, but I really like Rashad White. I find myself walking away with him in a lot in these drafts. I'm usually doing it at the 203 or 204 um, because, you know, Christian Watson and George Pickens and Jahan Dotson will typically go before him. Uh, But Rashad White's a guy I really like. I love the situation in Tampa Bay. Uh, Leonard Fournette, you know, he's going to be the trusted option there. I understand that. But I think White will get his chances. Um, And I think he's, you know, a very good player. I think he could be a three-down back. And I'm looking at the uh, late spot of this draft where there's not a lot of upside. I don't like these wide receivers. And if you're telling me that Rashad White could be a starting running back, and I think he could be, um, I don't think Leonard Fournette's going to be around for very long. Um, then I'm going to take him there and, and be happy with it. The way I see it, I think they have. I think James Cook has a better floor initially for sure, but I think Rashad White has an equal floor, and honestly, I barely even care about the floor. I think his ceiling is so much higher, um, and I'm looking for a starting running back at this spot that, yeah, I'm going to go with Rashad White here. Yeah, I think that's a reach uh, just based on value and drafts. Uh, he, he usually doesn't go until the second round. Yeah, um, that being said, you made a pretty solid selection uh, based on our no trades draft because what you said is right. Like he he, he could be a three down back in a good offense. I I believe Tampa Bay believes in his pass catching upside, and we've discussed this on a previous podcast. Um, Rashad White's the guy where you really should not pay attention to his age. He's got low tread, and he he transferred from JUCO. Like he's had an interesting path to where he is, um, and. I, I, since he's been in a Power 5 conference, all he's done is ball out. So, Rashad White. And, and, and one thing I'll say, because you make a good point on the value, you're right. I don't know if I would have taken White here. Um, the way that I approach these drafts is I know I'm going to end up with a lot of the 202 and 203 because I know I'm targeting guys like White there, or David Bell, or someone like that. So, if I was stuck at the 111, because I'm in 80 leagues, if I was stuck at the 111 and couldn't, you know, couldn't get an extra third for moving back two spots, I'd probably take Christian Watson just because I know I'm going to end up with so few shares of him that, you know, let's hedge a little bit. And I think his value is going to, you know, last for the next few months. But for the sake of this, I'm going to take White. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to let you go ahead and take Christian Watson because uh, I'm going to oh, go. No, 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 I'm taking White. I'm taking White. No, nah, after you took Rashad White, you can still have oh, Christian okay. Watson because I'm taking someone else. I'm going with the best hands in the class. 
I'm going with a guy who's had consistent production. He's can he can do it all. He's not a burner by any means, but there's really no shortcomings to his game. And that's uh Mr. Jahan Dotson. And I really like this guy. I think he's a very solid receiver. Clearly, Washington thought so as well, taking him 16th overall. And we don't really know what Terry McLaurin's going to do. People, like, people are a little bit unhappy, uh, or he, people think he might be a little unhappy there, might want to get paid. Um, so there, there's your situational upside. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, like, I like his fit. I like uh, his situational potential. Uh, I like the player. So to me, it's an easy pick. And in terms of, like, Christian Watson, I don't believe in Christian Watson more than I believe in Jahan Dotson as a player. And I don't know how long Aaron Rodgers is going to play football. So I'm not going to take this player who I have a lot of question marks in terms of his talent who went later than the guy I'm taking who I believe in. So I'm going to go with the guy I believe in. That's totally fair. I think, I mean, he was the next guy on my board as well. So I have no arguments there. I think he's going to be a solid pro. I don't see a huge amount of upside, but that's fine. This is, you know, the late first in a pretty mediocre draft. Um, So I am going to, the next guy on my board is not Christian Watson. However, I am going to take Christian Watson just because I think it's important. because that's what I would probably do. If Rashad White and Jahan Dotson were gone by the 201, I would take Watson, um, do some of that passive diversification, getting a guy that I'm never gonna go out of my way to pick, um, and taking a guy who I don't think is very good, but I do see some way that he could produce early. And if he has literally one 40-yard touchdown catch in week one, I can sell him for a profit. So I'm just going to take him and hope to flip him before anyone sees him actually play football. <laughs> hey, it might not be that bad, and, you know, there's not much there to prevent him from doing well. No, I, in all seriousness, like, I don't think he's a good player. He didn't look good on tape and didn't produce very much at North Dakota State. However, the situation is just as good as it is for Sky Moore, and there's an opportunity for him to produce early. They did invest a significant amount of capital in him trading up to get him. So, you know, he's got some value. I'm not going to discount that. Sweet. So uh, you're up at the 2-2 now. We're getting into an interesting part of the draft. David Bell. Okay. No comment? Just David Bell? Yeah, it's it's Watson's uh, wide receiver, too, and is he any worse than Amari Cooper? This is a guy that early in the offseason I said was a dark horse um, just in terms of fantasy, and like it turns out the NFL agreed. He went in the second round uh, to the Browns, who had a gla- third round, sorry, uh, to the Browns, who had a glaring need, um, and I like his game. I think he, he can, I, to me, he's kind of like a better version of Jarvis Landry, uh, so... Okay. We'll see. But I like David Bell. I like the upside. I like his situation. Yeah, I don't mind David Bell at all. Um, he was he was next on my board as well. I actually um, – I, I you mentioned Adam Thielen earlier, and I actually get a little bit of Adam Thielen vibes from him. I think Thielen's a better athlete than Bell is, but uh, Bell's a solid route runner. He is a dog. He is physical off the line of scrimmage. He will catch contested catches over the middle. Um he is, you know, a good, not great production profile. Um, he did, you know, break out at a very young age, but kind of plateaued from there. But I think he's going to be a solid player. You know, he's a very different player than Dotson, but I think in a similar way, I expect both of them to succeed at a moderate level. Um, and that brings me to my next pick. For me, it's a no-brainer here, but it's not someone that a lot of people are picking this early. Um, and that's going to be Trey McBride. 
I think Trey McBride, uh, I think we both agree on this. You know, this is a light tight end class. Just to clarify again, um, we're assuming this is a, a, a league with a half point tight end premium per reception. Um, and I look at the tight end rankings and you get past basically number eight, which is, you know, Fryermuth of Goddard. And it is wide open, right? It is Mike Isicki and Irv Smith Jr. who hasn't done anything because he's been injured and has been in the league three years, right? Like, it's guys who haven't, it's Albert O, right? There is a easy path for Trey McBride to ascend to the top 10, and that positional increase that you get is really substantial. Um, and I love the player. I think he's, you know, a really high quality tight end. I see, you know, maybe not superstar upside, but I do see star upside. He's got incredible hands, incredible contested catch ability. He's a very good athlete. He's an above average run blocker. I mean, I don't think he's going to be an absolute superstar, but I see some Mark Andrews in him. And I think he's a very good player. And in a draft where I'm not comfortable taking the quarterbacks here and I don't like George Pickens and I don't like Isaiah Spiller, for me, uh, McBride is the easy selection. Love the pick. Clearly the best tight end in the class. And, you know, he's, he'd be a good tight end in any class. I actually think that uh, he profiles similarly to Ertz. Uh, it might take a little little bit to get him going, but he's in a good situation, especially they keep Kyler around in Arizona. So I like uh, I like McBride. I think he made a solid choice. Um, and, you know, with 204, I'm going to make what I think is the highest upside pick that you could possibly make uh, in the draft period, regardless of draft spot. And that's a, a guy I think many people were considering taking at 101 overall early in the season. If you did dress with rookies, uh, you probably took this guy 101, and that's Malik Willis. Second quarterback off the board in nearly every uh, rookie draft. And, you know, he's, he's behind Ryan Tannehill, who's not great, who's pretty old. Um, nobody expected him to be around at this point. It's a really great offense for his game. You know, it's a play-action-based offense where you'll send Malik in motion and, and uh, he can use his legs. So I really like the fit in Tennessee. I think he has a path to start. I, I think with taking Malik Willis in the third, if they like what they see in him, they're not going to draft anybody to prevent him from getting an opportunity. So I really do like Malik Willis in the mid-second round. It, you, you're potentially getting a fantasy superstar with his rushing ability as a second rounder. Um, you know, this is a guy that people really believed in his arm. They just thought that he was a little raw and might sit. And you know, he is going to sit now. But two years, two years, maybe we'll see. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be two years. The the Titans have a void on his on Tannehill's contract after 2023, but before then, it would cost almost 20 million in dead cap to either cut or trade him. The cap's going up, and it's possible, but I think it's likely Willis sits two years. They could I, trade I Tannehill. Think, yeah, and well, they still have to take that dead cap in. But you're right; they could trade Tannehill. I, I think the thing with Willis, and I don't mind him at the 204, just because I don't. I don't love who's here. The thing is, in a, in a usual draft, one of White, uh, McBride, or Bell would be here at 204 because uh, the guy who I'm about to take always goes in the top 15 picks. Um, but to stay on Willis just for a second here, I think he's a good player as far as like taking a dart throw, but that's all it is. The fact that he was drafted late in the third round means that he still has hypothetically that same upside, but the odds he achieves it are so low um, I compare it to a guy like Jalen Hurts, and this was a much better draft class when Hurts came out. But 
Hertz was being drafted around the 210 in his draft class, and Hertz was a significantly better college player. He got drafted earlier in the draft, and he had you know at least as much, if not more, upside. So I know it's a weak class, and that's why Willis is being pushed up. But the way I think about it is, if Willis was projected as a third rounder all season, and he went in the third round of the NFL draft, no one would be thinking of him in the top 25 picks. So. I'm staying away from Willis. I'm a little uncomfortable that I won't have any shares, so I'll probably look to buy some shares later in the offseason or uh, once people get hurt in the regular season. You know, if I have an extra, you know, uh, older running back, if I have Corderell Patterson of last year and I'm a rebuilding team, I'll flip him for Malik Willis instead of, you know, uh, uh, two thirds or something like that. But um, I'm probably not going to end up with a lot of him in this draft, but I, I can't blame you for the pick. Because the only other logical pick is George Pickens, and we both agree George Pickens kind of blows. Um, <laughs> he he was good his freshman year at Georgia, which is super impressive, and I I really liked him at the time. But the fact is is that he hasn't been on the field a lot. He's been injured a lot. He hasn't looked good when he's been on the field. He's got some maturity and disciplinary issues, and I didn't like the tape. Uh, not to mention the fact that I think he's a terrible fit with Pickett and Trubisky, uh, who we spoke about earlier, are probably going to be there for at least two years. So this is a pure value pick for me. Um, I'm going to end up with almost no Pickens, just like I'll end up with no Lawson or Cook. Um, but, you know, if, if he was here, I would take him. So to be honest, I'll, I'm going to go George Pickens here at the 205. Uh, so value. now that we've gone through the first – yeah, it's just a value. So now that we've gone through the first 17 picks of the draft, um, and to give you, I'll, I'll run through the uh, the picks 10 through 17 real fast. Um, we got J- uh, James Cook at 10, Rashad White, Jahan Dotson, uh, Christian Watson opening the second round, then David Bell, Trey McBride, Malik Willis, and George Pickens. Um, we got so a little cute up- there, didn't we? Yeah, we did, but it's okay. I mean, we we, we got I think we we have a good mix of what the value is and what ADP is compared to how you and I actually believe. Hey, we said rookies were uh, were like pets. You got to get what you like. You got to get what you like. I 100% agree. So, um, why don't we go through the next you know six or seven picks of the second round uh, a little bit quicker, but try to touch on these players, and then we'll go through the third round rapid fire and maybe just highlight one or two guys that we're going for. Yeah, so uh, my next pick is going to be Isaiah Spiller at the 2-6. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was bummed to see him fall. I was like, when is somebody going to take Isaiah Spiller? When is someone? And it didn't go until the fourth round. But, you know, I do like the landing spot. I like uh, I like the charges for him. I He's obviously not going to have a big role as a rookie. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he got 120 touches. Um, and you know yeah, what? I, Austin Eckler is going to be 27. Uh, so... You know, it's a good spot for him. Obviously, the the NFL have more concerns than I did. Uh, definitely put up a bunch of red flags because you know, a fourth rounder, there's nothing stopping them from taking somebody else. Absolutely nothing stopping them. Even when Austin Eckler moves on, it's not like that role is just sitting there and his. Um, so there's a lot of questions in terms of his security, how realistic it is that he'll ever get an opportunity. But I like the talent coming in. I like the landing spot, so he's my next pick. And since I like his talent more than uh, Damian, Damian Pierce, uh, the, the great landing spot for Damian Pierce doesn't do it for me. 
Yeah, I, I Spiller was the next guy on my board. I, I don't have a lot to add. Um, I do think he'll get some work early, and, and that's valuable. Maybe he'll pop. He, he's got something to him. I, I don't think he'll be a star, but any running back, and, and we're getting to the point where uh, any running back who could achieve a starting role and you know move up to potential late-round first value, you're getting a profit there. Mm-hmm. Um, for that reason, my next pick is going to be Desmond Ritter. Um, I was just hating. I wasn't hating on you. I was explaining why the Malik Willis pick was was difficult. Desmond Ritter is very similar, not as a player to Malik Willis, but in terms of what you're betting on. Um, I am betting on Marcus Mariota being terrible. I feel confident in that bet. I, uh, as a uh, closet Tennessee Titans fan, have seen a lot of Marcus Mariota and know that he's absolutely terrible. Combine that with I do like Desmond Ritter as a player. I did have him graded higher than Malik Willis in terms of his NFL ability. I, I had Malik Willis higher due to uh, a higher rushing ability for fantasy. Um, and Ritter is paired with London and, and Pitts, and maybe they can find something. I think, I think the Falcons are going to be tanking very quickly, and he'll have a good shot there early on. Yeah, I, I, I think with you taking Ritter, my next pick is going to have to be Matt Corral. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I don't know if Ritter's my two or Corral's my, uh, sorry, QB3 or, or if Corral, I don't know between Ritter and Corral who my QB3 in this class is. And it's, it's a little bit going between, yeah, Ritter has the legs, but Corral, ha- he could start, like, now. I mean, I, 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 the thing is, I think Ritter could too. I think you're right. It's who's worse, Darnold or Mariota, and it's, it's you know, who, who it's just, it's hard to choose. I mean, we, right, yeah, Darnold to me is just pathetic. Um, that being said, I liked Corral as a quarterback prospect from – from a readiness standpoint to enter the NFL, I was pretty shocked he fell to the third round just because a, a lot of teams will just settle on like a pretty safe quarterback. In my eyes, Corral's a pretty safe quarterback. Um, he's in a situation where there's there's good weapons and there's really nothing stopping him from playing. I mean, Carolina has signaled that they hate Sam Darnold as much as everybody else does, so... Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to go Corral just because, you know, why not? Let's do it. Yeah. No, I don't blame you for that. Um, my next pick is a guy I do want to highlight briefly. It's a guy who's been falling in a lot of drafts. Um, Wondell Robinson, uh, the uh, metric king. Uh, his production was insane. Uh, a lot of it was manufactured touches, but he was very successful on those manufactured touches. And he was getting open on, you know, non-bubble screens as well. He's he's really just a high-quality player. He is 5'8". That's a concern, but it's late second round here. Um, for me, it's a choice between him and John Mechie. Um, and I just didn't think Mechie's tape was interesting at all. Um, I do like Mechie's landing spot a little bit in Houston, more actually than Wandell's in New York. But I think Robinson is just a more explosive player with higher upside who could get some manufactured touches early um, and maybe have a chance to break out a little bit. If you have a late second and you're considering taking John Mechie, um, trade it for Nico Collins. Just like do yourself that favor. It's a better player, better prospect. I don't know why people want Mechie over. uh, Yeah, no, I I agree. And basically just to say all of these picks after around 2-6 – if you could get a 23 second, I'm doing it no matter where in the round that's going to be. Um, I think that, you know, even even if you can move down to the early third and pick up a 23 third, I'm doing that as well. And, uh, yeah, my next pick is going to be a different Houston piece. It's going to be Damian Pierce. I didn't like the player. 
I really didn't. Like, nothing about him excites me other than that he's in Houston. And uh, for that alone, at this area, you know, you're getting upside where you can, and he has situational upside. So I'm going to peg that in as my next pick. Yeah, I have Damian Pierce in the 40s on my board. I think he is a really, really bad football player. Clearly the coaches at Florida agreed because they were playing other bad football players over him. I don't even know why he was drafted. I think he's going to not be in the NFL next year. Um, Anyways. um, Do you disagree on the situational upside? I think that he has zero ability to exploit on that upside. Again, I think I made this comparison before. If I was stuck in an elevator with Jessica Alba, I wouldn't convince Jessica Alba to hook up with me. Like, just because I'm there doesn't mean I have any chance. And my ability with women is similar to Damian Pierce's ability at football. Um, Anyways, moving on. My next pick, I'm going to reach a little bit because it's the end of the second and let's have some fun. I'm going to take a guy who I've been targeting a lot. You can usually get him around 3-5 to even 3-12. And I think he's in a really interesting situation, and he was my next highest-ranked running back as far as the film grade, and that will be Keontae Ingram. Um, He was a fifth-round pick uh, to Arizona. You know it's bad because we're getting into fifth-round picks in the second round. Um, But (laughs) James Conner has a long injury history. I don't think he's that good of a running back. I think Eno Benjamin is a terrible running back, and Keontae Ingram has a chance to earn some touches early. I think he's a very good receiver out of the backfield. I absolutely loved his burst. He shows way more lateral agility than I expected for a guy like that, just looking at what his initial metrics were. Um, And I just really like him. So I I had him on film grade as my RB5 behind Hall, Walker, White, Spiller, uh, ahead of James Cook. Um, you know, given James Cook draft capital, uh, there's no comparison. But Keontae Ingram's a guy I think targeting with a lot of late thirds makes sense. Yeah, and to close out the second round, I'm going to go with a guy I don't think should go in the second round. But for the purpose of this pod, I do want to bring him up, and that's Tyquan Thornton. And oh. uh, yeah, so here's here's my deal with Tyquan Thornton. You know, like he's uh, he's a big boy, he's tall, uh, and he's fast. And Mac Jones is a guy. This is exactly what I'm talking about with Drake London. Like, if Drake London had Mac Jones, boom, I'd be all over it. A guy who is that big and that size and has a quarterback that knows how to high point and place the ball, I love that. And on top of that, he's in a wide open offense, no real target competition other than uh, Jacoby Myers. And the last point I'll make on uh, Thornton is that when you're getting him late third and fourth round in some drafts, you're choosing to take undrafted rookies fifth round sixth round rookies over a second round pick and like that's just not good practice there's a reason this guy won in the second round he's going to get opportunities going to get looks that these other guys aren't going to take it super hard as a late round receiver to break in uh but uh, a second rounder he's going to get a shot so thorn i am hyped in that 14 team league i just got that trade accepted so i got 109 and 208 so that's pick uh 22 in a 14 teamer for uh, 111 and 113, I think everyone thinks I overpaid, but I gave up basically two guys I hate in probably Cook, Watson, or Pickens for Sky Moore, uh, plus a late second. So, you overpaid. Oh, I did. I don't even care. I'm very thrilled with that. Uh, it's honestly less painful than having to pick James Cook at 11. Um, oh, stop it. I have 10 too, but I, I got a deal to trade 10. Um, Oh, here we go. Yeah, I got. I'm gonna get a 24 first and Ramondre Stevenson for 110. So it's gonna be okay. 
So I'm pretty excited about that trade, even though I overpaid. I got the guy who was sixth on my board uh, and moved out of a range where I would have either had to overdraft guys uh, in the mid-teens um, or, you know, have to overdraft a guy like Rashad White. So I look at my board and it's either I'm taking Rashad White and David Bell uh, or Sky Moore and, you know, maybe one of these quarterbacks or Wondell Robinson. To me, I, I think that's a no-brainer, but I, I totally understand why it's an overpay. This is a draft where, given the tier drop-offs, I'm willing to overpay a little bit. Um, so I think that basically sums up what you can expect your first two rounds of the draft to be. We touched on where uh, you know we might be higher or lower on some players, uh, but overall, I would say uh, your number one takeaway should be to trade and trade early. Get to the back end of whatever you think a tier is. If you think Christian Watson and George Pickens are legit and just as good as Sky Moore and Alave, and you have pick 107, don't take one of them. Trade back to 111 and take them there. You can pick up extra assets, and those extra assets are how you make bigger moves, right? Like, I just picked up 208 in this trade, and I'm probably going to trade that again. Like, Every extra little asset you can get is important. That's why negotiating is important. Uh, messaging a person when they offer you a trade, encountering is important. Um, all of this stuff really, really matters in the long run. So I think with that, uh, that will be the end of this episode of the Trading Table podcast. Um, as always, thank you all very much for listening. Um, you can find... actually. Uh, as always, thank you very much for listening. You can find uh, Dynasty Jacobian on Twitter at Dynasty Jacobian, and you can find me on Twitter at Dynasty Zoltan FF. Uh, please follow the Trading Table Pod on Twitter as well uh, at Trading Table Pod. Um, give us a follow on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find this. Send us questions. Like we really love getting questions and being able to uh, interact with our listeners. Uh, and thanks. We'll uh, see you all later. Let's get down to business.